Good morning. We're so blessed to be able to be here together this morning. We thank you for your presence, our members, as well as our visitors. You know, when I was little, I remember playing with dominoes, but not 42 and other games that many of you know so well and, and play together. Uh, I learned those games and forget them as soon as I walk away. But uh, what I do remember doing and, and knowing how to do was when you just line up the dominoes in a pattern and you push that first one and they, they fall down and you hear the sound, the clicking sound of all of them hitting and falling and you made them, maybe you made them in a circle or in a straight line or go up over something and down. Did you ever do that as a kid, just play with the dominoes? I thought that was fun. I remember also seeing uh, the experts on TV, on TV shows where they would show the experts who can really do elaborate designs with thousands of dominoes, different colors and different patterns, and, and they would compete. And they might hit that first domino and it go in a big swirl or, or change from one picture to another or, or spell out a word, all kinds of creative designs. I don't know how they did that. I don't think I could ever do that, but it's amazing. But what we know, when we've, if we've played with dominoes like that in any way at all, is that that first domino matters, doesn't it? When you get that first domino, I mean, when you, when you place it, that's where you're starting, right? That's where all the other dominoes are going to line up behind. And so you want that first one, and all of them, to make sure it's on a flat, stable, smooth surface, right? You don't get out on the parking lot and try to line up dominoes to topple them. You want that first one to be placed just right, and then all the others follow. You know, decisions are like dominoes, aren't they? That first one matters, and every decision after that first one uh, all connects. They all follow one another. And so we're going to spend time... Uh, in this new series, talking about decisions, that decisions make a difference. We're going to look at uh, this lesson and using Brother Tim Lewis's book, The Domino Effect. Many of you are familiar with it. Uh, it was used in a Bible class in 2017, and so you may be familiar with it having gone through it during that time. And Brother Tim Lewis is uh, the preacher at the North MacArthur Church of Christ in Oklahoma. And I've gotten to know him over the years. I think he's a wonderful preacher and very kind, down-to-earth guy. And uh, I, I told him recently at, at a workshop I was at that I was looking forward to doing this series. And uh, uh, I think it's, uh, he's blessed us with some great lessons in the book that he prepared for churches to use. So I hope that it's a blessing to you as I know that it is a blessing to me. You know, different sources have uh, estimated or, or guessed or made assumptions of how many decisions we make in a day. Some say it's thousands, some say a few hundred, but whatever the, num the real number is, we know we make a ton of decisions every day, don't we? Some of those decisions are very insignificant, right? They don't really matter what we decided to do. They're of no significance. Did you eat toast or cereal for breakfast? Did you have two eggs 
were one. You know, some things just really don't matter. Did you wear the blue shirt or the red shirt? Uh, which pair of shoes did you wear? There's a lot of insignificant decisions we make every day, but there's a lot of decisions we make every day that make a big difference in our lives. And those decisions line up behind the previous decision that we made, and we keep lining up those dominoes, and they start pointing us in a direction for our entire life, don't they? And we look up and we realize, I've been following that first domino of decisions I make, and it's been leading me in this direction. And that might be good and that might be bad. And so I want us to think about uh, throughout this series, through different scriptures, about how we can be Christians in this world today and make the kind of decisions God would have us to make. See, for the Christian, trusting the Word of God is a critical, fundamental, foundational decision. That's the first decision you've got to make. Do I trust God's Word or not? That's your first domino. You say, well, I thought, I thought believing in Jesus would be first. I thought loving God would be first. You don't know about God or Jesus except through the revealed Word. Now, certainly, as the Bible teaches us, Romans 1, uh, you're without excuse to not be able to look at creation and know there is a God. Just look at the created world. But Scripture is God's Word to us to reveal Himself to us. And so to say, I believe in the Word of God is your first domino because everything comes after that. You, you learn about who He is as He has revealed Himself. You learn about His plan of salvation uh, revealed in Christ and the mystery of uh, uh, the gospel, as Paul liked to call it. And so we learn everything we need to know about God and His will for us and everything He wants us to know related to Him and living for Him in eternity through His Word. So that commitment to say, I believe and I trust fully in the Word of God is that first domino. And there's, there are people who claim Christianity that don't believe the stories in the Old Testament are literal they don't believe that those things actually happen, that they're just kind of fables to convey a message. And they don't believe that creation happened in the way that we read about it in Scripture. And so you've got to ask first and foremost, do I trust the Word of God or do I not? And when you base your life on what the Bible teaches, then you inevitably glorify God with your life. Do you see that? Because when you base your life on what the Bible teaches, then that means you're trying your very best to live according to His Word. And as you live according to His Word, what starts happening to you? You start imitating Jesus in your life. You live the way He has taught and modeled for us to live. And when you imitate Christ, when you are following Him and imitating Him, guess what happens? You're seeking first the kingdom of God. And when you do that, you're, you're living on mission. You're, you're fulfilling the mission that God has for His people. To tell others about Him, to, to, to encourage people to hear the gospel message and obey it. And so we live our lives then in service to Him, and that comes from that first domino of believing that the Word of God is true and I can trust it and I believe it. However, there's another side to that, isn't there? 
The other side of that is that when I don't fully believe and trust the Word of God, and, and, and of course many do, but then we get to that next step and that's where we trip up, that's where we have problems, because then when I don't live like I believe it, then I'm not imitating Christ in the way that I should be. And then I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God in my life. I'm not living on mission for Him. I'm not serving Him and glorifying Him ultimately. And that leads us down a different road, doesn't it? A different path. So decisions have the power to cause you to grow closer to God or drift further from God, right? You've seen it in your life. You've been there, done that. You know you've made decisions that have helped you grow closer to God. And you've made decisions whether they were active or passive. And Mike did a wonderful job teaching this morning. I thought it, his, that class pairs so well with this series. Uh, you've made decisions, and maybe it's just, I just don't feel like it today. Decisions that have caused you sometimes just slowly, inch by inch, sometimes uh, a big step at a time to drift away from God. Decisions make a difference. That's what I want us to think about today. So the Christ follower has to make sure that his first domino is placed right, and every domino he places, decision he makes after that, is in line with that first one. In other words, are you living according to the Word of God? Think about your own life and how you got here. All of the decisions, go back to the time of your parents even. All of the decisions that were made over all of these years that have led to you sitting here this morning. Think about that. There's a lot of different decisions. Some of you grew up here. Some of you grew up in this congregation. And because of decisions, you're still here. Some of you didn't grow up here. Some of you grew up out of state somewhere. But because of decisions, you are here now. Think about that. And then because of decisions, you have decided to actually be here this morning. You decide to engage in the life and service and work of this congregation. You, you engage in uh, relationships in this congregation to develop friendships, to reach others, to invite others. Those are all decisions that have brought you here today and uh, enable you to be actively involved in the work of this church. A story that Brother Lewis shares is consider two sons who grew up with an alcoholic father. One son grows up uh, and, and follows in his father's footsteps. The other son grows up and he doesn't. Why? Why does one son follow in his father's footsteps and the other doesn't? Well, when asked about it, each one points back to their father. I said, because he was an alcoholic. He drank all the time. That's why I decided to be the way I am now. One son says, I drink because my father drank. It's that simple. While the other says, I determined never to take a single drink because my father was an alcoholic. Both made decisions based on their father's decisions. And those decisions shaped their life, their character, and even the course of their life right? And you think about your own life and, 
And you've seen that in your own life. Maybe you've got siblings. Maybe you've got others. And, and, and people make different decisions in life, right? Decisions determine what path we're going on. So many people talk about uh, things like they're just a product of their environment. Uh, that's, that's just the way I am. It's just the, it's just the way it is. I just grew up that way. Like the son who said, well, my father was that way. That's why I'm that way. And we're just a product of our environment. We're not actually in control. We don't really have power to make any decisions and do anything. We just are because of all the influences and decisions around us. In other words, we're a helpless victim. And it seems that more and more people live that way, don't they, today? Instead of saying, I have power, self-efficacy, I have power within me to make choices for my life. I don't have to be dictated by everybody else's choices. I'm not just floating out there tossed to and fro in the, in the ocean. I can actually uh, decide the direction of my life. Another way of describing that is locus of control. Where is the, where is the, the center of control, the origin of control in your life? Is it within the circle, which is you? You're the circle. Or is the, the, the origin of control over your life outside of the circle, outside of you? In other words, I can't help it. That's just the way things are. It's the way the world is. That's the way it was growing up. Or it's within me. I can choose which way I want to go what I want to do with my life. Uh, consider some uh, uh, examples in Scripture. Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that they were, weren't supposed to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what did they do? They ate of it. And Eve ate first, then Adam. He was right there making more decisions. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. But what did they do when God confronted them? They blamed. The first thing they did was Adam said, That woman you gave me. He blamed her and he blamed God for what he did and the way he didn't help his wife. And what did Eve do? Eve blamed the serpent. If that serpent hadn't done anything, I, would, I, I, I couldn't help it. The serpent told me to do it. Uh, consider Moses, while, uh, Aaron, while Moses was on uh, the Mount Sinai with God. Uh, the people thought it was taking too long. God isn't, isn't working as fast as he ought to work. God isn't doing things the way we know he ought to be doing them according to our schedule. And so they pressured Aaron and he quickly and easily gave in. And they said, you make for us some gods to worship. This God up here is taking too long. We want something now. And so they took off all their jewelry, children, you know this story, and, and Aaron melted it down and built a golden calf out of all of their jewelry. I don't know how big it was. Maybe it wasn't very big. And they worshipped that, something they just built out of rings and earrings and necklaces. And they called it God and, and worshipped it. And then when, when God tells Moses, get down there and take care of those so stiff-necked people, see what they've done. Moses goes down there, and what does Aaron say? He blames the people. He said, it's them. They pressured me. I couldn't help it. And he was left in charge. 
And what did he say? And, and, and so I, all I did was throw the jewelry in the fire, and, and, and this golden calf just came out. I, I didn't even do that. He took no responsibility for his life. And then think about Judas. Consider Judas from John chapter 12. He didn't wake up one day all of a sudden and just decide to betray Jesus, did he? He he wasn't a faithful servant of Jesus, follower of his, student of of his words, and just decide, you know what? I think I'm going to betray the Messiah this morning. That's not what he did. He got to the point he got to because of all the previous decisions he had made in his life that warped his character, got his character so bent out of shape, so uh, out of whack, that he eventually got to the point where he betrayed the Son of God. Uh, Look at John chapter 12. And in verse 5, first of all, Jesus and the disciples are at the home of Lazarus. Mary and Martha are there. Lazarus is feeding them, has put on a dinner for Jesus. And uh, uh, Mary, is, she takes a jar of expensive perfume and she anoints Jesus' feet with this perfume and dries his, his feet with her hair. And you remember what Judas does? He gets mad. He said, we should be selling that perfume so that we can give the money to the poor. And then John says in verse number 6, he lets us, the readers, know, hey, don't let him fool you. Listen to verse 6, what John tells us. That Judas didn't care for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. What was he thinking when he saw Mary anointing Jesus' feet? He was thinking, we could have sold that and I could have got me a nice tip off the top of that, right? That's what Judas was thinking. He didn't care for what Mary was doing. He didn't care for the poor. He cared about himself. And yet Jesus still chose him to be one of his original 12 disciples. He knew who he was and what he was up to. But it was those kinds of decisions that Judas had made over a number of years that got him to the point of betraying Jesus. And in Matthew 26... Verses 14 through 16, I didn't put it up there, but he actually goes to the chief priests. And this is his idea. He says, how much will you pay me if I hand him over to you? They didn't approach him with a big amount of money. He said, how much will you pay me? He went looking for the deal to sell out Jesus. And Jesus had already told him he was going to do it. Decisions make a difference, don't they? But David understood something different. David understood he was responsible for his decisions that he made in life. Uh, Look at 2 Samuel uh, 12. In verses 11, uh, chapter 11, we see after he had done the terrible things he did by taking Bathsheba, committing adultery with her, uh, she became pregnant, and you know what he did, right? He had her husband killed, right? Had him killed to cover up the sin that he had already committed. Commits another sin, and he's only digging the hole deeper. And then God sends the prophet Nathan to tell him uh, a, a parable so that he can reveal to him the truth and convict him of the truth. And, and, and what does David do? Look at uh, chapter 12, verse 13. 
David hears this. He's confronted with his great sin. And he cries out, I have sinned against the Lord. David knew he was wrong and took responsibility for it. He didn't blame. Well, if she hadn't have been up there, if she hadn't have been uh, bathing up there, if she, had, if she lived somewhere else, if she had the decency to be bathing somewhere else, or if, if uh, Uzziah had, had uh, just obeyed me in the first place, see, he didn't blame somebody else. He didn't blame, say, well, God, you don't know how hard I'm working. You don't know uh, all of the things that I'm doing for you. He saw his own sin and took responsibility. He, called, he, called, he knew his sin was sin. He didn't try to rationalize it or justify it. He knew that he had ultimately sinned against God. And we know that even though he sinned and God forgave him, he repented. He still suffered some severe consequences, didn't he, in his life. You know, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to turn around, right? That's what we see David do. The, the, one of the hardest things to do sometimes is, is to realize, to see it, and know, to, you know, to kind of just be aware of we're going down that road, but I'm too prideful to turn around. My, my pride, my ego won't let me turn around, won't let me change, because that would be admitting I'm wrong. And so we just, we just keep going in that direction when we know where this road is taking us. Because that's hard to turn around sometimes. It's hard to stop that habit. It's hard to quit doing that thing. It's hard to change your routines, change your, your relationships, change your job even, change your, 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 your location. Sometimes those things are very hard. But that's what it takes to turn around. So how can we change our direction with different decisions. I want us to think about a couple of things. That we can actually change our direction with different decisions. Look at this. Uh, there's two things that we learn from two different prayers in the Bible. One is from Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 3, God appeared to Solomon. And you remember what he said? He said, ask me anything. I'm going to bless you. I want to bless you. Ask me what you want. And what does Solomon do? He asks for a lot of money, right? No, he didn't ask for a lot of money. So he asked to be able to live for hundreds of years, right? No, children know this. He didn't ask to live a long life. What did Solomon ask for? The children know Solomon asked for wisdom, to be able to tell the difference from good and evil, right and wrong. And God said, because you asked for that, I'm going to give you that and I'm going to give you riches and long life. Because you asked for the ability, the skill, the wisdom, the discernment to be able to decide what's right and what's wrong. And if you want to make a, a change in the direction of your life, one of the choices you need to make is to choose to always do what is good over evil. Always do what is right instead of wrong. And if I'll make that decision in my life, that will clarify a lot of things, won't it, that come down the road, that the, wor that the world, that life can throw at me. A Christ follower chooses what is right even when everyone else at school, when everyone else in the workplace, when everyone else on your social media feeds say it's this way, 
A Christian knows because remember they're lining up their life behind the Word of God. A Christian knows what's right and wrong. And they've committed to do what's right and not what's wrong, to choose good and not evil. So no matter what social media, no matter what the celebrities, no matter what is popular, because you see what's common is normal. What everybody most commonly believes becomes normal, and that doesn't mean it's right. It might be as wrong as two left shoes. I read a story about a, a, a guy that ordered some socks over the Internet, and he thought he got a bag of left-footed socks because inside the, the top of the sock there was an L. And he said he wore those socks and thought there was a problem, and he even, he even began to email the, the seller of the socks to say, you sent me a bag of left-footed socks. And before he hit send, he realized the L stands for what? Large. He had been upset and thinking because he thought it was this way. He thought this was right only to realize it was wrong. You see, you've got to know what's right and what's wrong. And the world won't always tell you the right thing. Isaiah was right in, in chapter 5 verse 20. And what he said way back then is just as relevant as it, as today as it was back then. And that is that the world and that culture will tell you what is, is, is good as evil. They will call good evil, and they will call evil good. And you're sitting there thinking, what? I, I feel like I'm the only one who still believes this. Everybody else says this is okay. I know this isn't okay. I know this is wrong. And they make you feel like you're the one wrong. Like you're the one who's the mean one, who's the hateful one, who's the evil one. And that you should change because everyone else is. The Christ follower decides no matter what, I line up on the word of God. All my dominoes line up behind that. Second thing we need to do quickly is uh, in order to change our direction and we need to make different decisions, we need to commit uh, to an un have an unwavering commitment to moral excellence an unwavering commitment to moral excellence and both of these are hard they sound good we're like yeah that's what I need and then we go and try to do them and they're hard aren't they these are hard but look at listen to Paul's prayer in Philippians uh, Philippians chapter chapter 1 I forgot the chapter up there but it's chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Listen, he's praying that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, what he's praying for them is when your love grows and your, and your knowledge of God grows, then your ability to discern right from wrong grows. And then you're able to say that what is excellent, what is true, what is right, what is sure. Why? Because your love for God has grown. And as that love grows, your, your knowledge of Him grows, your discernment grows. And now you can, you can say, I know what is right for sure. You see, you're not listening to other sources. You're listening to the Word of God. But look at verse 11. So that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now go back to verses 9 and 10. How do you get to verse 11? 
you get to verse 11, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, by going through the things said in verses 9 and 10. Do you see that? You don't get to 11 until you go through 9 and 10. And so you get through 9 and 10 and, and your love is growing for God. Your, your knowledge of God is growing. Your discernment, your spiritual discernment is growing. And so then you're able to say what is best, what is morally excellent, that excellence there because of what you've just been doing. And now you get to 11 and you're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And then look what your life does. It's to the glory and praise of God. Do you see that? You can't get there with drugs, and alcohol, pornography, sexual immorality. You can't get there through those things. Those decisions don't lead you down that road. Do you see that? You can't make all these decisions and think you're going to end up over here. It don't work like that. Now, I'm not saying we don't stumble, we don't fall, but, and that's why when you're in Christ, you can run to the throne for forgiveness. And you get back up and say, I'm going that way. I ain't going that way. And you start lining up those decisions, those dominoes, according to God's word. You see, decisions lead us down a path, don't they? We choose... When it comes down to it, we choose our own eternity. When I was little, I remember having those Indiana Jones Choose Your Own Adventure books. Did you ever read Choose Your Own Adventure books? I love those. I had a pack of a few of them. And I'd read them over and over again saying, okay, well, what if I go this way? What if I go this way? And you go this way and you end up being, you know, uh, shot with a bunch of arrows and fall in a pit of snakes. And you go this way and you get the treasure and you escape and it's a great ending, right? I always enjoyed those choose-your-own-adventure books. And that's what this life is. You get to choose your own eternity. God's not forcing you. He wants everyone up there with Him, but He's not going to make you. He's not going to force you. That's why He gave you free will. And even from the angels in heaven to Adam and Eve, uh, they would choose to turn away from God. Salvation is freely offered, but we have to freely choose it. And we have to choose it every day, not that our works earn us salvation. Jesus is the one that saves us. It is by grace you're saved, but there is a life we are to live uh, if we are going to be uh, at home in heaven with him. Jesus made it real simple. Look at Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Verse 14, but for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. We don't, we don't like hard. We like, e we like the easy button. But the, way is, the, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, eternal life. And those who find it are few. That's not the way God wants it. Jesus is saying that's just the way it is. Because that's what people will choose. We'll choose the easy button instead of the hard path because we don't want to line up all those decisions according to his word because that's hard and that's not always what we just want to do because of our flesh. And so we're either going one way or another and our decisions are taking us there. 
So make no mistake again that Jesus saves us, but he's teaching us here that we get to choose which way we go. If we want to reject salvation or accept it, it's up to us. But God's choice would be all of us accepted. That's what he wants. He wants all of us to be in heaven with him. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So when you decide who you will be, I'm going to be a Christ follower. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live for Jesus and, and who you belong to. I don't belong to the world. I don't belong to what culture says. I belong to Jesus. And where you want to spend your eternity, when you make up your mind on those things, then it clarifies a lot of decisions in your life, doesn't it? It makes a lot of things a lot easier. And if you make that decision once, you make it the next day. you got to make that decision all day long, every day. But that commitment is there to live for God because I want to be with Him in eternity. And this morning, if you need to choose that path because you haven't yet, we want you to know that we're here for you. We're not mad at you or we don't hate you because you haven't been living on that path. We want you on that path. And we're here to serve and help and minister to you any way we can to help you be on the right path to eternity, to be in heaven with God. And if you've been on that path and you've been, you've been finding some little trails over here, you've been walking through the, shr- the bushes and, and the thicket, not on the path to uh, eternity with God, and you need to find your way, maybe you don't even know how to get back. But you can start with coming to God and repenting and saying, however I get back is what I need to do because that's where I want to go. If you need prayers, encouragement, maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. That's where it starts to say, I'm living for Jesus. I want to be saved. And you are united with him in baptism. Your sins are forgiven, washed away. If we can serve you this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.